0: Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. If I haven't met you before, my name's Natalie. I'm one of the clergy team here. It's a real privilege to unpack God's word with you this evening Um, If at any point you need to whiz away and have a quick drink or a dose of air conditioning, um, please do so. But be warned, we will have a question in the middle of the sermon where I will send you away to get a drink and go and get some air conditioning as well. Um, So do be ready for that. Let's uh, start with a prayer as we dig into this book. Lord Jesus, help us to unpack your word with clarity. Help us to allow your word to sink into our souls and change who we are and how we are in the world today. Amen. If we could have the first of the slides. Now, I want to take you back in time. This document that unless you go really close, you won't actually be able to read. Um, Well, actually, it's more than a few years' time because it's one of my primary school school reports. (laughs) Oh, my word. In my Hertfordshire primary school, There was one teacher who was feared and respected in equal measure in the way that super strict teachers are sometimes the only ones that we really, really respect. Now, when it came to report season at the end of the year, I did the only logical thing. I hid my school report down the back of my chest of drawers. For those of you who are shocked by this circumstance, can I draw to mind, this was in an era before emails were commonly used and online services, and yes, really, they did give handwritten school reports to primary school children to put in their bag and take home and give to their parents. It really happened, honestly, I am that old. Can you believe it? Remember how this wasn't discovered until six months later. Why did my parents not notice that I hadn't bought my end of primary school school report home? I actually don't remember that bit of the story. What I do remember is that when I opened it six months later, when we found it when we were decorating my bedroom, it was actually the best school report I ever had. (laughs) Oops! Oh dear. And You know, it's the only one that really reflected on who I was like as a person, what I was good at, really, really got who I was. Now, you see, if I'd thought a little bit more about this quite severe, strict teacher, Mrs George, lovely lady, I might have actually read my report on the day um, with my parents because if I'd have thought about her character, I'd have realised she was going to be really honest. And actually, the only reason she was strict was because she wanted me to achieve amazing things. And she wanted all her pupils to achieve amazing things. Now, you see, I think that's a good analogy for what Nahum is doing. If we could have our next slide, please. Because Nahum, I think, is bringing God's message about Nineveh. Um, Anyone ever watch News from America? I try to avoid it as much as I can. But it's something like the State of the Nation Address from God, given through Nineveh. And this report, this message, this prophetic word from God is, well, actually, it's a little bit about what's going on in the nation, but it's also a little bit about what God is like. Because that's what Nahum decided was important for these people to understand, is actually, if we understand the shape, the pattern, and the behavior of God, that's really vital. And I think that's vital for us, too, today, which is why I think this prophecy lands really well today, as much as it did back then. Especially because our world, let's be honest, faces some quite complicated challenges at the moment. There are big difficulties in our world. These aren't simple things to fix. You don't fix the economic model of the entire globe easily. You don't fix the imbalance in um, climate change easily and the way that affects poor countries more than it affects wealthy countries. Those aren't simple things to fix. Now, if we focus on the character and the person of Jesus in the light of those complexities, we too might see a little bit more of what God's like in the face of those situations. In consequence our troubles, be they personal or of the world, we might see them with a different perspective. And I think that was what Nahum was trying to do. He's setting the the consequences of the actions of this nation out. But he's saying, if God looks like this, don't you realize what could be different? But there is something hard to hear in Naaman's words. You can't get away from the fact that he talks about God's anger and he talks about God's wrath. He talks about God's anger and he talks about God's wrath. And he also talks about God's power, and he talks about God's power surrounded with words about God's comfort and God's patience. God's comfort and his patience. So if you read this chapter really slowly, you'll see God's power at work through all that's going on. Nahum opens up our reading by revealing God's deep anger against a nation. Now, today we sometimes shy away from the idea that God might be angry over something we call sin, which is the consequence of wrong actions in the world, be they sin globally or sin personally. The thought that the sin of others and our own is an offence to God, society thinks is, well, it's kind of a little bit outdated, And at times, don't we go with the flow of that society view? And we kind of try to put this idea of judgment into a little box that we hide away. But society, in the same breath as it makes sweeping cries for there to be no judgment, has really strong views about a lot of things. Have you noticed that? However many headlines you watch, society will have a strong view on both polar ends opposite of the spectrum. Have you ever noticed that? Isn't it weird? It's like, okay, well, I think this, and then a whole bunch of other people will think completely the opposite, and they think, well, we're both obviously right, and that's fine. So a society that doesn't want judgment is prepared to give a judgment over other people's character, behavior, actions, in headlines. You know, there's got to be something weird going on there. So I have a question for us to ponder in the face of those kinds of ideas and principles. And it comes from a theologian called Packer. And he asks this question. Would a God who did not react to the evil in the world be morally perfect? Would a God who didn't react to evil in the world be morally perfect? Okay, this is your five minutes. I'm literally gonna time you. You have five minutes to grab a drink and discuss this question as you go and get some space in the atrium and then we'll call you back. Go. Amazing, thank you. Sam's gonna go and gather people from the atrium. So be thinking about what your answers are because I've got the roaming microphone coming around in the shape of Sam. There we go. Come on back in. Sorry, it feels a bit warm when you come back in from the atrium, doesn't it? I can see people going like this. So what do we think? Would a God who did not react to evil in the world be morally perfect? Answer? No. Brilliant. Why? (laughs) Come on. You knew I was going to answer that. You work in a school, Adam. He wants the best for us, and sin leads to death. Any others? Put your hand up, and then Sam will bring the microphone, and then I won't have to shout. Mr. Cross, Zoe, go for it. Sammy, you need to find your fiancé. You but he is a God of grace. Sorry? But he is a God of grace is the yes. response to the gent over here. Absolutely. That's all I want to say to her. Zoe, put her hand up, Sam. You can only call her f- your fiancé for a little bit longer. Not very much longer. Hello? <laughs> oh, there we go. I think no, because if he didn't react to bad things, then anything would go, and it would be like that movie, The Purge.
1: I don't oh. know if anyone's seen it.
0: Oh, yeah, I've it's seen mad. it. Well, I don't think I've even seen it, but I just know about it, and that's not a good, good world to live in. Thanks. Thank you, Zoe. Any others? Oh, yeah, Mr. Beard down the front. Oh, an Albury Jones hand's gone up. A Beard hand. A Ledger hand. He would not be a good parent to us. He would not be a good father if he allowed us to do wrong things and he didn't uh, tell, well, more than tell us off, he didn't punish us. Okay, okay. Mr. Beard? The answer to your question, why, is because part in part he was not affected by the fall. Okay. Therefore, he is. <laughs> Great. And yeah, go for it. Tristan had his hand up. Didn't you? You did, didn't you? you want me to go. <laughs> we were just discussing that we think it's a bit of a flawed question because um, we were talking about. <laughs> If, if God is the definition of morality, if he decides what's good and bad, yeah. then you could conceivably have a... Obviously, the, he isn't. Thankfully, he, the answer is no, um, but the answer is a funny question. Great, excellent. Nice one. Oh, John Freeman will be so proud of you right now. <laughs> Critique the question, brilliant. Um, we're going to grapple with um, why we need to think about God's anger and wrath as much as we need to think about God's comfort and patience. Um, and we're going to hear a bit about what Nahum has to say about the character of God. So if we could put up verse 2 from our reading, I'm just going to refresh our minds of what, one of the verses that we've heard. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath at his enemies. God is filled with wrath. God is filled with wrath. Now, I wonder if you translate this um, a little bit. One translation suggests that it can be being a master of wrath, a master of wrath but that's with the meaning of someone who's mastered the art or craft of something. So hands up those who've mastered a craft. Anyone having a go at doing some crafting? Anyone? We had, oh yeah, Zoe, what's your craft? Shout it out really loud. Zoe makes bracelets. Zoe makes bracelets. So a master craftsman. Um, You might have mastered a sport recently if you're that way inclined. We master things, and that's a recognition of our understanding, our capability, our skills. And I think we need to recognize that God knows what he's doing when it comes to sustaining the world. He's the master of sustaining the world. And in acknowledging this, there are some more important things to recognize. God isn't vindictive in his wrath and his anger. God isn't spiteful in his wrath and his anger, and he doesn't have sudden swings in how his anger and his wrath works out. He doesn't have like a mood about something. He's consistent. And God's wrath is a bit like, um, can we have our science reaction? I've got a science um, formula for you in one of the slides. Here we go. Here's my science formula, it's really sophisticated. The sin of the world mixed together with God's holiness and the result is the wrath of God. If God wasn't holy, then sin wouldn't matter. If God wasn't holy, sin would not matter. But because God's holy, sin does matter. And God's reaction to sin is to be slightly upset. I couldn't find a rough emoji. I think this is an angry one, but you can correct me because I'm not very good at emojis. God doesn't allow the world or each of us to get away with wickedness and rebellion because he's a good father. He's a good parent. And some of us might not have seen what good parenting looks like. That's different. That's different. If he wasn't able to be upset about things that happen that are wrong in the world, he wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be able to bring justice into the world. The sight of wickedness or rebellion in ourselves or the world should be like a full-on wake-up call to us. It should like be like an outcry in our souls that we want to see God's holiness rather than all these problems that we see but uh, I wanna add in a really important postscript, and that is that it's God's holiness in God's time. God's holiness in God's time. Not society's view of what holiness is like, not society's view of what's right, but it's God's holiness in God's time. And that looks like this verse that Peter, one of Jesus' followers, wrote. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, God is jealous for his people, but he understands his people, so he knows we need six months to hide our school report before we're ready to read it. He knows that we need time to grapple with the things that are not quite right in our lives and work out better ways of living. After all, he created us. He knows us how we can be beautifully ourselves. And I think if you speed read this one chapter of Nahum, you might pick up on an overwhelming sense of wrath and anger but you'd have missed some important details that Nahum was trying to highlight. In fact, did you know that the very word Nahum means comfort? The word Nahum means comfort. Just as the Apostle Peter recognised having lived beside Jesus, Nahum, centuries before, wrote this, The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. God's holiness is a call for change, but not one that's rushed. And Paul reflects on it this way in Romans 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So unless you're God and creator, you're not perfect. Sorry. I hope you're not offended by that statement. Oops well, I have to confess to David when he comes back, I've offended the whole of church because I've told them they're not perfect. But God can make us more like Jesus. God's Holy Spirit can make us more like Jesus. And therefore, edge to edge to edge, slowly and patiently, God changes us into who we're supposed to be. God is present and has compassion throughout the generations, so we can trust God to overcome in the face of corrupt nations, just like he did in this situation. We can trust God to overcome those he's punished in the past and those where his patience and justice is yet to be seen and will come into the future. Our part is to call out him in the face of those troubles in the face of corrupt nations we're called to do what sam called us to do earlier to pray we're called to seek god and the reminder for that is in verse 7 of the chapter we've just read the lord is good a refuge in times of trouble he cares for those who trust in him all those who trust in god seek his refuge in times of trouble that's why prayer is a vital part, not only of our personal way of shaping faith, but in our church life. If we're, a ch- if we're a church that doesn't pray, we're a church that's not in conversation with our God. Prayer's vital. But prayer's also part of calling us into a better way of being. and. Prayer's part of changing bad news into good news. Just as when I read the good news of my school report six months after it arrived, don't we all long sometimes for some good news? Just like we're longing for some rain and some cooler temperatures at the moment. Often when there's a period and a season dominated by disaster, oppression, or failures in our society, We long for there to be good news. And that's what Nahum reflects on towards the end of our reading. In verse 15, he says this. Look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. Now, we haven't got very very many mountains in Reading. I will say that. But... Jesus was the perfect bringer of good news, the ultimate messenger of good news. He's the one who destroys the hold of sin over ourselves and over our world. And it's through his action that the power of God brings comfort, that the power of God brings patience, seen in us and in the world. Jesus is the one who, in the face of global trouble, turmoil and conflict, complexity and sin, brings that shalom, wholeness and peace. Nahum was speaking not only of the peace that was to come, of God's deliverance from the Assyrians and the Babylonians, but also of the peace and salvation won through the actions of Jesus on the cross, winning for anyone who chooses to accept it, God's good gift, the shalom peace of living God being beside us in the world. So what does it look like to hear that anger and wrath as much as comfort and patience are the characteristics of God in the world? Because actually the ultimate act is one of love. The ultimate act of God is one of love where Jesus chose to take the weight of those sinful actions on himself in order that we might have the comfort, love and patience of our Savior. So if that's something that's news to you, I would love to invite you to come and talk to anyone of the prayer team who will be at the the back by the banners this evening or Sam and I um, towards the end of our service. We'd love to tell you what that love looks like, what that comfort and patience can be like. And for the rest of us, I've got one very specific. John was really specific with his challenge in the evening service. Um, Was it last week? Yeah, it was last week, wasn't it? Um, I've got a specific challenge as well for us as we um, face towards something that's coming up towards the end of August, any guesses? Reading Festival, absolutely. This is the first time the atrium will have been opened during the Reading Festival. We have no idea if we're going to be deserted or heaving with festival-goers, so we'd love to gather together as one whole community. Anyone who's home over that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and during our services on Sunday, we'd love to invite you to be a gracious presence in the atrium, just looking out for people who turn up. There'll be people who have come to the festival and have found it tough and have come to somewhere to have a nice space and be cared for there'll be some who are just still not quite sure what's going on and they're quite young some of the kids who come to reading festival so we'd love just to be a gracious presence for them um so please do come sit have tea and coffee it could be that all you do is sit with your friends and have tea and coffee and get some work done It could be that you are the vital link, you are the person of peace, the bringer of good news to someone who's distraught because things haven't worked out the way they expected at the festival. But we'd love for a whole bunch of people just to be present in the space over that weekend. To be the hands and feet, uh, like Jesus is, bringing good news. So could you be the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace, simply through a kind word, action, or by getting someone a cup of tea and coffee. If you've booked your holiday for that weekend already, which I know some of you will have done, can I ask you to have a look at our website, which is greyfriars.org.uk, and have a look at Give Time. So if you do greyfriars.org.uk forward slash Give Time, I'd love us as a congregation to just reflect on how we're supporting the life and health and vitality of our church. What's your call in that? How are you a bringer of good news? The, good, the way you bring good news might be actions, it might be prayers, it might be service. I don't know what looks good for you, but have a look because there are a number of options on the website and we'd love as a congregation for us all to look at what our part is. So how is God calling you to be the one who brings good news? Let's just have some quiet time and then we're going to turn to taking communion together, the place where we encounter God's justice and his grace fully. So come, Lord Jesus, speak to us in your wisdom. Show us where you're shaping us redirecting us, creating new things in our hearts and new ways of being in our lives. Come, Lord Jesus, bring your change, that we might know your comfort and your patience. And as we see the beauty of your call on our lives and our inability to fulfill it to perfection, help us to approach your table of grace, that place where we know your love poured out for us. Come, Lord God. Amen.